Hello, welcome to season three of the podcast, EMS History, Myth and Media. Let me first thank you for listening to this and other episodes in the first two seasons. I am Rex, I'm a physician and retired from the practice of emergency medicine after 30 years or so. And when I look back, the history of medicine and particularly emergency medicine increasingly fascinates me. In the mid-1990s, our group added physician assistants to our emergency department. After that, I worked with both physician assistants and nurse practitioners in both emergency departments and in urgent care clinics. This episode of the podcast is the first of two on the history of these two groups of advanced practice providers. Please stick around as I discuss the history of physician assistants in this episode. Remarkable to me is that in the same year, 1965, Medicare was signed into law, and independently, the first physician assistant and nurse practitioner training programs had their starts. In the Truman Library in Independence, Missouri, on July 30, 1965, President Johnson signed into law the beginning of Medicare and Medicaid. The Truman Library site was chosen because Harry Truman had proposed the concept some 20 years earlier. Medicare gave senior citizens government-funded health insurance. The initiation of Medicare made many people responsible for health care policy think that this would lead to a large number of new patients to primary care physicians and maybe overwhelm the physicians. Perhaps because of this, it's a bit hard at this point to ascertain the motivation, in 1965, training programs began for both physician assistants and for nurse practitioners. There was no obvious collaboration between these two startups. Now, the nomenclature for these professionals has changed over time. Early on, doctors referred to them as physician extenders. The idea was that with them working alongside physicians, it would make it possible for the physician to care for more patients each day. Later, professionals in this class were referred to as mid-levels. Now, we refer to them collectively as advanced practice providers. I will focus in the next episode on nurse practitioners, but let's first look at the history of physician assistants. We start at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. The university opened in 1924. The Duke University School of Medicine began the next year in 1925. In 1965, Dr. Eugene A. Stead, Jr. was the chair of the Department of Medicine in the Duke University School of Medicine. Having been faculty at Harvard and then Emory University before going to Duke, Dr. Stead had an interest in the role of others who could help doctors perform their task. He knew of a rural physician in North Carolina, Dr. Amos Johnson, who had trained one of his office staff, Buddy Treadwell, to do many of the tasks in the office. Dr. Stead had seen in World War II Army medics and Navy corpsmen had very capably been trained for emergency care and functioned very admirably in that role. Dr. Stead tried at first to convince the School of Medicine to allow him to add training for nurses in skills to assist physicians, but he apparently met with resistance, and he was unable to get accreditation for a master's degree-level program for nurses. He shifted gears and chose primarily ex-military corpsmen and started, along with Dr. E. Harvey Estes, the first physician assistant program in 1965, 
comprised of four ex-Navy corpsmen graduating the first class in 1967. The concept spread and other PA training programs followed, utilizing the curriculum that Dr. Stead and Dr. Estes had established in the training program. Certification criteria and exams followed, and the very year after the first class graduated at Duke in 1968, the American Association of Physician Associates, later they changed their name to Physician Assistants, was formed, and it now has over 73,000 members. At first, PA's scope of practice was to function under the collaboration with a physician or sometimes group of physicians in an office or clinic. They had no authority to prescribe independently of their collaboration, and from state to state, their roles had different restrictions or permissions depending on the rules in that state's board of medicine. Although the training is now dictated by national standards, as are certification exams, the particulars of PA practice is still under each state's board of medicine rules. A PA who is certified can move from state to state and usually is required to be accepted by that state's board of medicine. They are bound by the restrictions of that state. Now, what's training like now? Many PA training programs have a prerequisite of a bachelor's degree and certain courses such as chemistry, biology, genetics uh, that have been completed. Other programs are a baccalaureate level program. The PA programs at graduate level offer a master's degree in a 24-month or longer training program. Some schools require previous hands-on patient experience such as EMT, paramedic, nurse's aide, or the like to be accepted. Typically, the first year of the program is classroom didactic learning. The second year is clinical, training in hospitals, offices, ORs, ERs, and other settings. Once successfully completing the course of study and passing the board exam, the graduates can call themselves a PAC, or Certified Physician Assistant. Starting almost solely as a primary care endeavor, PAs have increasingly become specialists, just as the bulk of physicians now are specialists. You can go back and listen to my podcast episode on the history of medical specialties. It's out there. PAs now are likely to be found assisting in operating rooms, in hospitals, seeing patients in rooms, doing both primary visits in offices or clinics, as well as handling a large portion of follow-up visits after treatment has been provided. They see post-operative patients. They monitor patients on checkups for chronic illnesses such as diabetes, kidney failure, hypertension, or during and after cancer treatment. As time passed, PAs slowly became more and more accepted. The American Medical Association recognized them in 1971, and six states passed legislation authorizing their practice. The certification exam was formalized in 1973, and in 1977, Medicare began paying them for care that they provided. Previously, their pay was whatever percentage of the doctor fees the doctors were willing to pass on to them. In 1992, PAs were recognized as providers by all branches of the military, and in 1997, they were recognized as covered providers by Medicare in all settings, not just primary care. The last state to officially recognize PAs was Mississippi in 2000, and prescriptive authority was obtained in all 50 states by 2007. In 2010, during the Obama administration, the Affordable Care Act was passed. 
In it, three types of healthcare providers were officially recognized as primary care providers, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners. In the last five years, a few states have passed legislation allowing PAs to practice independently, no longer in collaboration with a physician. So, from the first class graduating at Duke over 50 years ago, PAs have progressed from positions of rather trained office assistants, remember Buddy Treadwell under Dr. Amos Johnson in a rural care primary care office in North Carolina, now they are in some cases independent healthcare providers able to evaluate, treat, prescribe, and follow up on patients. The history of physician assistants in America has been long and slow developing. PAs were only gradually accepted by the medical establishment and occurred on pretty much a state-by-state -state basis. After their introduction in the 1960s, it was a couple of decades before enough PAs were trained and employed that the concept received majority recognition by both physicians and the general public. As I mentioned before, it was the 1990s before the emergency department at which I worked got our first physician assistant. Early on, perhaps because the original concept was for PAs to be collaborating with primary care physicians to increase the coverage in that aspect of care, PAs were predominantly working alongside doctors in primary care offices. As the American medical environment changed to a preponderance of specialists, physician assistant roles likewise gradually evolved towards specialization. In the past 20 years or so, the general public has come to expect that the healthcare provider they encounter may not be a physician. That brings us up to the present regarding physician assistant history in the United States. But what about before the introduction of PAs in America and what about elsewhere? We can go back further than 1965 to explore the history of assistance to physicians. In the 17th and 18th century, the Russian military, introduced by Peter the Great, assistance to military physicians were known as feldshers. The Russian feldsher gradually retired from military and went to rural communities to provide medical care. By 1913, there were 30,000 feldshers, and the position was is still quite robust. In the 1970s, 90% were female and 25% of Russian physicians were feldshers before becoming physicians. In the US in the 1930s, the federal prison system trained former military corpsmen to work as correctional physicians. In 1961, Charles Hudson, MD, proposed at an American Medical Association conference that training of assistants to work with primary care physicians should be considered. Reportedly, his presentation was not warmly received. I'm uncertain whether Dr. Stead Jr. attended or was aware of Dr. Hudson's presentation before he started the first class of physician assistants at Duke University Medical School some four years later. Certainly, military corpsmen were providing medical care, but it didn't extend beyond the military until corpsmen were the primary source of PA students at first. The big difference between medics and PAs was in their training. 
Medics were trained in an accelerated fashion without the requirement of a bachelor's degree, while PA training is either a baccalaureate degree or a master's level degree requiring a bachelor's degree before they even starting the PA program. In some specific situations prior to Dr. Stead starting the PA program, medics and even firemen were used to staff some hospital units such as burn units. Now that we've looked at some history over centuries and in different countries and are up to the present time, what of the future? Predictions are that the physician assistant graduating and being certified now and those in the next decade face a quite exciting growth potential. One estimate is that PA employment is anticipated to grow 31% in the next 10 years, making physician assistant number four on the list of best STEM jobs. Just as the role of PAs has evolved since 1965, it will continue to change. Certainly the trend is toward more independence in practice and more niches filled by PAs in medical care. This topic certainly is related to EMS and emergency care, as advanced practice providers are increasingly part of the staff in emergency departments. Since the 1990s, when my department first brought PAs on board, a considerable portion of emergency care is now provided by advanced practice providers. I've mentioned that I also worked in urgent care clinics, and there such providers were even a greater percentage of the provider staff. I've worked in urgent care clinics where I was the only physician but worked alongside two or three advanced practice providers. Next time in the podcast, EMS History, Myth, and Media, I intend to address the similar and parallel development of nurse practitioners. As always, I'm really happy to do these episodes, and it's a source of great interest to me to research the topics and organize the material into short presentations. Thank you so much for listening. It's quite humbling to see the number of hits my episodes have thus far gotten. Please look over the whole collection of episodes I've done and consider giving others a listen. This is Rex, and until next time, so long.